Chapter 18, Part 4 of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter 18, Part 4 Concluding Remarks on Deltas. Convergence of Deltas. If we possessed an accurate series of maps of the Adriatic for many thousand years, our retrospect would, without doubt, carry us gradually back to the time when the number of rivers descending from the mountains into that gulf by independent deltas was far greater in number. The deltas of the Po and the Adige, for instance, would separate themselves within the recent era, as, in all probability, with those of the Isonzo and the Tor. If, on the other hand, we speculate on future changes, we may anticipate the period when the number of deltas will greatly diminish, for the Po cannot continue to encroach at the rate of a mile in a hundred years, and other rivers to gain as much in six or seven centuries upon the shallow gulf, without new junctions occurring from time to time so that Eridanus, the king of rivers, will continually boast a greater number of tributaries. The Ganges and the Brahmaputra have perhaps become partially confluent in the same delta within the historical, or at least within the human era, and the date of the junction of the Red River and the Mississippi would, in all likelihood, have been known if America had not been so recently discovered. The union of the Tigris and the Euphrates must undoubtedly have been one of the modern geographical changes of our earth, for Colonel Rawlinson informs me that the delta of those rivers has advanced two miles in the last sixty years, and is supposed to have encroached about forty miles upon the Gulf of Persia in the course of the last twenty-five centuries. When the deltas of rivers, having many mouths, converge, a partial union at first takes place by the confluence of some one or more of their arms. But it is not until the main trunks are connected above the head of the common delta that a complete intermixture of their joint waters and sediment takes place. The union, therefore, of the Po and Adige, and of the Ganges and Brahmaputra, is still incomplete. If we reflect on the geographical extent of surface drained by rivers, such as now enter the Bay of Bengal, and then consider how complete the blending together of the greater part of their transported matter has already become, and throughout how vast a delta it is spread by numerous arms, we no longer feel so much surprise at the area occupied by some ancient formations of homogeneous mineral composition. But our surprise will be still farther lessened when we afterwards inquire chapter 21, into the action of tides and currents in disseminating sediment. Age of existing deltas If we could take for granted that the relative level of land and sea had remained stationary ever since all the existing deltas began to be formed, could we assume that their growth commenced one and the same instant when the present continents acquired their actual shape? We might understand the language of geologists who speak of the epoch of existing continents. 
they endeavor to calculate the age of deltas from this imaginary fixed period and they calculate the gain of new land upon the sea at the mouth of the rivers as having begun everywhere simultaneously but the more we study the history of deltas the more we become convinced that upward and downward movements of the land and contiguous bed of the sea have exerted and continue to exert an influence on the physical geography of many hydrographical basins on a scale comparable in magnitude or importance to the amount of fluviatile deposition effected in an equal lapse of time in the basin of the mississippi for example proofs both of descending and ascending movements to a vertical amount of several hundred feet can be shown to have taken place since the existing species of land and fresh water shells lived in that region the deltas also of the po and ganges have each as we have seen when probed by the artesian augur borne testimony to a gradual subsidence of land to the extent of several hundred feet old terrestrial surfaces turf peat forest land and dirt beds having been pierced at various depths the changes of level at the mouth of the indus in kutch and those of new madrid in the valley of the mississippi are equally instructive as demonstrating unceasing fluctuations in the levels of those areas into which running water is transporting sediment if therefore the exact age of all modern deltas could be known it is scarcely probable that we should find any two of them in the world to have coincided in date or in the time when their earliest deposits originated grouping of strata in deltas the changes which have taken place in deltas even within the times of history may suggest many important considerations in regard to the manner in which subaqueous sediment is distributed with the exception of some cases hereafter to be noticed there are some general laws of arrangement which must evidently hold good in almost all the lakes and seas now filling up if a lake for example be encircled on two sides by lofty mountains receiving from them many rivers and torrents of different sizes and if it be bounded on the other sides where the surplus waters issue by a comparatively low country it is not difficult to define some of the leading geological features which must characterize the lacustrine formation when this basin shall have been gradually converted into dry land by the influx of sediment the strata would be divisible into two principal groups the older comprising those deposits which originated on the side adjoining the mountains where numerous deltas first began to form and the newer group consisting of beds deposited in the more central parts of the basin and towards the side farthest from the mountains the following characters would form the principal marks of distinction between the strata in each series the more ancient system would be composed for the most part of coarser materials containing many beds of pebbles and sand often of great thickness and sometimes dipping at a considerable angle these with associated beds of finer ingredients would if traced round the borders of the basin 
be seen to vary greatly in color and mineral composition, and would also be very irregular in thickness. The beds, on the contrary, in the newer group, would consist of finer particles, and would be horizontal, or very slightly inclined. Their color and mineral composition would be very homogeneous throughout large areas, and would differ from almost all the separate beds in the older series. The following causes would produce the diversity here alluded to between the two great members of such lacustrine formations. When the rivers and torrents first reach the edge of the lake, the detritus washed down by them from the adjoining heights sinks at once into deep water, all the heavier pebbles and sand subsiding near the shore. The finer mud is carried somewhat farther out, but not to the distance of many miles, for the greater part may be seen, as for example, where the Rhone enters the Lake of Geneva, to fall down in clouds to the bottom, not far from the river's mouth. Thus, alluvial tracts are soon formed at the mouth of every torrent and river, and many of these in the course of ages become of considerable extent. Pebbles and sand are then transported farther from the mountains, but in their passage they decrease in size by attrition, and are in part converted into mud and sand. At length, some of the numerous deltas, which are all directed towards a common centre, approach near to each other, those of adjoining torrents become united, and each is merged in stern, in the delta of the largest river, which advances most rapidly into the lake, and renders all the minor streams, one after the other, its tributaries. The various mineral ingredients of all are thus blended together into one homogeneous mixture, and the sediment is poured out from a common channel into the lake. As the average size of the transported particles decreases, while the force and volume of the main river augments, the newer deposits are diffused continually over a wider area, and are consequently more horizontal than the older. When at first there were many independent deltas near the borders of the basin, their separate deposits differed entirely from each other. One may have been charged, like the Arve when it joins the Rhone, with white sand and sediment derived from granite. Another may have been black, like many streams in the Tyrol, flowing from the waste of decomposing rocks of dark slate. A third may have been colored by ochreous sediment, like the Red River in Louisiana. A fourth, like the Elsa in Tuscany, might have held much carbonate of lime in solution. At first they would each form distinct deposits of sand, gravel, limestone, marl, and other materials. But after their junction, new chemical combinations and a distinct color would be the result, and the particles having been conveyed ten, twenty, or a greater number of miles over alluvial plains would become finer. In those deltas where the tides and strong marine currents interfere, the above description would only be applicable with certain modifications. If a series of earthquakes accompany the growth of a delta and change the levels of the land from time to time, as in the region where the Indus now enters the sea, the phenomena will depart still more widely from the ordinary type. If, after a protracted period of rest, a delta sinks down, pebbles may be borne along in shallow water near the foot of the boundary hills, 
so as to form conglomerates overlying the fine mud previously thrown into deeper water in the same area. Causes of stratification in deltas The stratified arrangement, which is observed to prevail so generally in aqueous deposits, is most frequently due to variations in the velocity of running water, which cannot sweep along particles of more than a certain size and weight when moving at a given rate. Hence, as the force of the stream augments or decreases, the materials thrown down in successive layers at particular places are rudely sorted, according to their dimensions, form, and specific gravity. Where this cause has not operated, as where sand, mud, and fragments of rock are conveyed by glacier, a confused heap of rubbish devoid of all stratification is produced. Natural divisions are only occasioned in deltas, by the interval of time, which separates annually the deposition of matter during the periodical rains, or melting of snow upon the mountains. The deposit of each year may acquire some degree of consistency before that of the succeeding year is superimposed. A variety of circumstances also give rise annually, or sometimes from day to day, to slight variations in color, fineness of the particles, and other characters, by which alternations of strata distinct in texture and mineral ingredients must be produced. Thus, for example, at one period of the year driftwood may be carried down, and at another mud, as was before stated to be the case in the delta of the Mississippi, or at one time, when the volume and velocity of the stream are greatest, pebbles and sand may be spread over a certain area, over which, when the waters are low, fine matter or chemical precipitates are formed. During inundations, the turbid current of fresh water often repels the sea for many miles, but when the river is low, salt water again occupies the same space. When two deltas are converging, the intermediate space is often, for reasons before explained, alternately the receptacle of different sediments derived from the converging streams. The one is, perhaps, charged with calcareous, the other with argillaceous matter, or one sweeps down sand and pebbles, the other impalpable mud. These differences may be repeated with considerable regularity, until a thickness of hundreds of feet of alternating beds is accumulated. The multiplication also of shells and corals in particular spots, and for limited periods, gives rise occasionally to lines of separation, and divides a mass which might otherwise be homogeneous into distinct strata. An examination of the shell marl now forming in the Scotch lakes, or the sediment termed warp, which subsides from the muddy water of the Humber and other rivers, shows that recent deposits are often composed of a great number of extremely thin layers, either even or slightly undulating and preserving a general parallelism to the planes of stratification. Sometimes, however, the laminae in modern strata are disposed diagonally, at a considerable angle, which appears to take place where there are conflicting movements in the waters. In January 1829, I visited, in company with Professor L. A. Necker of Geneva, the confluence of the Rhone and Arve, when those rivers were very low, and were cutting channels through the vast heaps of debris, 
thrown down from the waters of the Arve in the preceding spring. One of the sandbanks which had formed in the spring of 1828 where the opposing currents of the two rivers neutralized each other and caused a retardation in the motion had been undermined and the following is an exact representation of the arrangement of laminae exposed into a vertical section the length of the portion here seen is about twelve feet and the height five the strata a a consist of irregular alternations of pebbles and sand in undulating beds Below these are seams of very fine sand, BB, some as thin as paper, others about the quarter of an inch thick. The strata CC are composed of layers of fine greenish-gray sand as thin as paper. Some of the inclined beds will be seen to be thicker at their upper, others at their lower extremity, the inclination of some being very considerable these layers must have accumulated one on the other by lateral opposition probably when one of the rivers was very gradually increasing or diminishing in velocity so that the point of greatest retardation caused by their conflicting currents shifted slowly allowing the sediment to be thrown down in successive layers on a sloping bank the same phenomenon is exhibited in older strata of all ages if the bed of a lake or of the sea be sinking, whether at a uniform or an unequal rate, or oscillating in level during the deposition of sediment, these movements will give rise to a different class of phenomena, as for example, to repeated alternations of shallow water and deep water deposits, each with peculiar organic remains, or to frequent repetitions of similar beds, formed at a uniform depth, and enclosing the same organic remains, and to other results too complicated and varied to admit of enumeration here. Formation of Conglomerates Along the base of the Maritime Alps, between Toulon and Genoa, the rivers, with few exceptions, are now forming strata of conglomerate and sand. Their channels are often several miles in breadth, some of them being dry and the rest easily forded for nearly eight months in the year, whereas during the melting of the snow they are swollen, and a great transportation of mud and pebbles takes place. In order to keep open the main road from France to Italy, now carried along the sea-coast, it is necessary to remove annually great masses of shingle brought down during the flood-season. A portion of the pebbles are seen in some localities as near Nice to form beds of shingle along the shore, and the greater part are swept into a deep sea. The small progress made by the deltas of minor rivers on this coast need not surprise us, when we recollect that there is sometimes a depth of two thousand feet at a few hundred yards from the beach, as near Nice. Similar observations might be made respecting a large proportion of the rivers in Sicily, and among others, respecting that which immediately north of the port of Messina, hurries annually vast masses of granitic pebbles into the sea. Constant Interchange of Land and Sea I may here conclude my remarks on deltas, observing that, imperfect as is our information of the changes which they have undergone within the last three thousand years, they are sufficient to show 
how constant an interchange of sea and land is taking place on the face of our globe in the mediterranean alone many flourishing inland towns and a still greater number of ports now stand where the sea rolled its waves since the era of the early civilization of europe if we could compare with equal accuracy the ancient and actual state of all the islands and continents we should probably discover that millions of our race are now supported by lands situated where deep seas prevailed in earlier ages in many districts not yet occupied by man land animals and forests now abound where ships once sailed and on the other hand we shall find on inquiry that inroads of the ocean have been no less considerable when to these revolutions produced by aqueous causes we add analogous changes wrought by igneous agency we shall perhaps acknowledge the justice of the conclusion of aristotle who declared that the whole land and sea on our globe periodically changed places End of chapter eighteen part four